we see more and more liberalization, which uh, we would expect would result in more competition and better services and lower prices for consumers. Yet, we don't see that in uh, every country. That's Monica de Volder. Perhaps you've come across her advocating for consumers in Brussels. This is Net Zero, a podcast by the Florence School of Regulation about the energy transition and climate change. I am Joana Freitas, and in this series, I'm inviting myself into the minds of some truly insightful people with very different perspectives. We will be discussing what is happening across Europe, what are the challenges for utilities, what will be the benefits for the environment, and ultimately for citizens. Today, we are joined by Monica de Volda, Senior Economic Officer at Bilk, the European Consumer Organization, to discuss if the energy transition will bring benefits for consumer prices. Monica, thank you for joining us. Let me start with a broad question. While the share of the renewable energy in electricity consumption has been growing in Europe, we have not seen any significant retail price reductions. Can you explain why? Indeed, when we look at um, electricity prices in the last 10 years, we see that they have been mainly increasing for household consumers. Uh, there was different trend for industry consumers, and I will uh, say a few words uh, about that later. Uh, so, indeed, com- consumers have been presented by the possibilities of participating in energy transition. We see more and more renewables uh, in the energy market, yet we see increasing prices. We see more and more liberalization, which uh, we would expect would result in more competition and better services and lower prices for consumers. Yet we don't see that in uh, every country. So there is naturally this question, what is driving the prices? And I think there are several factors which influence the final price, especially for household consumers. And I will try to mention just a few of them. So when you look at the electricity bill, the final electricity bill for consumers, when you break it down, you see the three main components. First of all, the price for the energy as such, then the the network tariffs, and then taxes and levies. If you look at the wholesale price or in the wholesale market, increasing market coupling and their connection should actually result in better prices for consumers. Retail prices should reflect or follow the wholesale prices. But there is still kind of way or room for improvement in terms of use of interconnections, for instance. What is important to consider also in wholesale prices is, as you said, uh, increasing share of renewables, generally lowered prices in sport markets. But what we need to remember is that we are still paying for uh, coal and gas because these are actually influencing how the marginal price is set. So that's about the wholesale price. If you look at the network tariffs, they represent around one third of consumers' bills. So in average, consumers pay around 180 euros for the transmission and distribution of their electricity per year. But they don't always understand what they are paying for. Of course, networks are regulated monopolies. uh, So the role of regulator is very important here. What we are sometimes missing is transparency and guarantees that costs are kept at the minimum for consumers. Just to give you one example, Citizens Advice, our UK member, uh, looked uh, recently at energy networks and uh, they found out that consumers overpaid for energy networks 
around seven and a half billion pounds over eight years. And um, this, in the end, was a this was just a tip of a iceberg because they looked at different sectors at water at um, telephone, at broadband and energy. And they saw that because of wrong errors in setting price controls by regulators, consumers overpaid in those industries, that is water, energy, uh, broadband and telephone uh, networks, uh, consumers over, uh, overpaid 24 billion pounds during last 15 years. So this is something to consider when we look at network uh, tariffs. And then there are, of course, taxes and levies, which includes also payments for renewables. And while renewables are very often blamed for increasing energy bills, and they, the, the taxes and levies part was one of the main drivers of increasing energy bills, renewables have been blamed for these increases. But I think we need to consider two things. One, what are the alternatives? That means if we uh, stay with fossil fuels, that means we stay dependent on external suppliers and we are locked in for decades in fossil fuels. And the second, the part of the story which is not always told to people, how much do we pay for nuclear, for coal, for gas, in form of subsidies, for capacity mechanisms? And there, uh, Greenpeace found out that EU citizens have paid and will pay around 58 billion euros for those subsidies for nuclear, uh, gas and coal. So I think uh, we need to look at the, the broader picture. And perhaps just a last point. At the beginning, I mentioned that prices for household consumers increased during the last um, couple of years, while uh, prices, electricity prices for industries uh, went down. That means that, of course, industries can better benefit from internal energy market and there are much more benefits waiting still for consumers. Uh, it also shows something else. It shows that household consumers are bearing the main cost of the energy transition. And here uh, we need to talk about how to share the costs of energy transitions in a fair way among all consumers. And it has been alarming to see that, for instance, industry consumers have received uh, exemptions or reductions or discounts from network tariffs, from renewable surcharges, from paying for capacity mechanisms. And this is not the fair cost sharing for energy transition. So this is something we still need to work on. And uh, there will be, uh, I hope, uh, quite some opportunities in uh, coming months and years to change that. So you mentioned the energy component of consumer bills. In a context of high penetration of renewables, energy electricity prices may become much more volatile because the momentary scarcity of renewable sources like wind and sun may result in increase in prices, while in some periods prices may be negative, as already been the case in some countries like Germany. Will consumers accept this price volatility? And are there sufficient ways to hedge prices. I think here we also need to differentiate between uh, the household consumers and industrial consumers because industrial consumers, for instance, can already participate in new offers in demand response, while these offers are rather new for household consumers. And I would say short answer to your question is consumers should be definitely able to benefit from these market developments. Now, it's true that big customers 
can already uh, benefit because they have a knowledge, they have a capabilities, they have technologies to already follow the market prices. Household consumers don't really know what is the the market price and how to how to adapt their consumption because there are not that many offers we call them flexible electricity offers here we uh, we know it more as a demand response offers so these offers are not very much available in the residential sectors yet on the other hand so there should be always a possibility and there will be consumers household consumers who will engage who will have the capabilities and interest and possibility for instance to adapt their consumption and consume when the electricity price is low uh, there will be consumers who will not be able to adapt their consumption or they will choose not to participate actively in market. Why I think it's important that consumers have access uh, to these new offers which reflect actually decreasing prices of renewables and uh, uh, the, the, the opposite trend is uh, because energy bills has been one of the main financial concern for consumers. And financial savings are therefore one of the main drivers for consumers to engage in the energy market. What we have seen from studies on consumers' acceptability when we talk about demand response, we see that uh, savings which would trigger consumer action and lead to lasting changes in behavior may need to be rather high. For instance, uh, our German member, Fauser Befau, asked consumers about time-of-use tariffs. And uh, two-thirds of consumers in Germany said they want to save money and they fear having to pay too much. So there we also um, get into what about the risk of uh, bill shock, like we had in roaming uh, some years ago before the roaming regulation kicked in. What consumers also find important is ease of use, convenience, and uh, their privacy needs to be protected. So uh, to answer your question, yes, uh, it's consumers will participate, but it needs to be financially worthy without any trade-offs for them. They need to understand these new offers which reflect market dynamics. They need to be able to compare them. Right now, you cannot really compare aggregators' offers. Uh, they need to be able to understand how the tariff, the market price is set. To give you an example, demand response offers, or we call them flexibility uh, offers, will become reality for more and more consumers in the near future because of the clean energy package, which opens the door to uh, new offers and uh, new service providers. And therefore, we looked at demand response offers, be it dynamic price contracts and offers by uh, aggregators in several countries. And we looked at uh, tariff information, at uh, privacy policies and conditions for termination and switching. And for tariffs, what we have seen in our analysis is that several companies have good, although sometimes complex, information on their pricing policies. Others make very unclear references to the market price and fail to specify what it is. Uh, we also observed quite some old-fashioned termination conditions and Unfortunately, we saw that none of the offers were fully compliant in terms of privacy. We saw that it's possible to do it right. We saw quite uh, good elements in demand response offers, which could be attractive to consumers. But we also saw that there is uh, room for improvement. 
And to your question about do consumers accept the price volatility, I would say that they will be very cautious about signing up to something which is which may be too risky. And that's why we liked one of the examples of uh, offers we analyzed. It was a UK energy supplier, which actually provides safeguard price cap for their customers, which is high enough. So it doesn't really distort uh, the, the market or the offer, but it's, uh, it gives a consumer a guarantee that uh, his or her price will not skyrocket. And at the end of the month, he mm-hmm. or she will not uh, receive huge energy bill. So uh, to summarize, it's, it can be good. These offers can provide a lot of opportunities but they need to be well-designed. Consumers need to have clear information, comparable information, financial benefits from that, from taking action, and there should not be any trade-offs to consumers' privacy. If we turn now to the grid's usage charges, in a future where decentralized production and self-consumption will play a much bigger role, who will pay for transmission and distribution networks? Are consumers ready for flat tariffs and being charged not for the use of the grid measured by consumption of the electricity consumed, but for an insurance to use the grid when necessary? Well, you're right that uh, increasing use of distributed generation, introduction of electric vehicles and smart technologies raise the question not only of how distribution systems should be used, but also how costs should be met and how to distribute them among different market players. And there is, of course, a huge concern uh, whether costs of traditional networks will be stranded, and if so, who will bear the costs? I don't see uh, the the answer as black and white. It's not uh, one-size-fits-all solution. Should there be this type of tariff design or that type of tariff design? Uh, What we think is that tariffs should reflect as much as possible uh, the real cost to the grid incurred by that consumer and the benefits brought by that consumer. There shouldn't be any exemptions and cross-subsidies, and that, again, includes... um, industrial uh, customers. Uh, The tariffs should be based on true human behavior, not on econ's behavior, because consumers sometimes may not really understand how to influence their network tariff. Um, And charges not related to the network and system operations should be excluded from the network charges. We wanted to look at what is the fair um, tariff. And we started uh, looking into how to design distribution network tariffs that are fair for different consumer groups. And we commissioned research by the Center for Competition Policy. And um, we hope that uh, we may get uh, understanding how the tariff should look like. But in fact, The result, because you have different consumers, you have consumers with high usage, with low usage, with different capacities, Uh, you have prosumers, you have EV users, electric vehicles uh, owners. The conclusions are rather that you cannot really harmonize network tariffs. There is really no one tariff that will be suitable for everybody. That's why what uh, we found out is that more and better understanding of distributional impacts is needed, especially at national level. So this is very important for regulators. 
Cost reflectivity is a very uh, important uh, principle to guide the network tariff design, but it's far from perfect in practice because many things come to play, so it's difficult to assess if a tariff is truly cost reflective. So to understand how to design the, the fair distribution tariffs for different types of consumers, you really need to look at what is the impact of the, the tariff design and if consumption-based or capacity-based is the, the right solution uh, for different consumer groups. I wanted to talk about digital transformation. What are your expectations regarding the way digital transformation can cut costs benefiting the consumer? And what specific digital tools can be more useful for consumers to reduce their bills? Well, digitalization can be a game changer for the energy system because it can lead to increased uh, efficiency and reliability of the energy system, better integration of renewable energy sources, and also improved supply sets and infrastructure by running better for longer. While the process of digitalization is advancing in some parts of the energy value chain, for instance, transmission networks, there's still quite a long way to go uh, to digitalize at the, the generation, distribution, and consumer side. And so answer to your question is, yes, there can be cuts in costs due to uh, digitalization, but it very much depends how it actually happens. Because what we hear is that digitalization will be a revolution where the consumer needs to adapt to the electricity grid. But in fact, it should be the other way around. The consumer needs to be in the center and the technology needs to work for the consumer. Um, and there are several tools which could help consumers, again, if well-designed, to actually cut uh, energy bills. And uh, I would mention one, smart meters, and then also home automation and uh, demand response. So on smart meters, this technology is being rolled out around Europe and uh, there are many potential benefits uh, for consumers in terms of accurate bill. Uh, you could get uh, real-time or close to real-time information. The easier the switching can be easier and faster. But there are also benefits for distribution system operators and for suppliers and for also new parties so that they can offer new products to consumers. So there are a couple of things uh, where we need to pay really attention, how the costs and benefits are distributed or shared by uh, all participants and also what is the impact of privacy because smart meters will collect a huge amount of data, of personal data. So consumers' privacy should be respected. Uh, there is also another tool which I think is very important when we talk about demand response, and it's home automation. Because home automation can facilitate flexible energy consumption in the residential sector. In terms of technologies, we can also think about electric cars being used as a storage for the electricity grid. So there are possibilities, but again, what is in for the consumer? And in that case, making sure that the digitalization is, in a way, consumer-driven. And finally, as BILC is a consumer organization, do you see the need in the future to protect more vulnerable consumers? And which tools would you use to do so? Definitely. Uh, I think energy-poor or vulnerable consumers, one of the biggest challenges we are facing. If you look at uh, the data, more than 50 million consumers around Europe have difficulties to keep their homes 
warm in winter. More than 100 million of uh, EU consumers have difficulties to keep their homes comfortable in summer. So it's a huge challenge ahead of us. And there are many discussions. Is it a social policy issue? Is it the energy policy issue? And I see it as a combination of those. That means social and energy policy. And the energy policy gives uh, several possibilities how to address energy poor and consumers in vulnerable situations. Uh, if you look at the clean energy package, there is energy efficiency directive, for instance, which aims to steer energy efficiency measures towards energy poor, low income and vulnerable consumers. Uh, there is renewable energy directive, which aims to enable energy poor and vulnerable consumers to access, to participate, engage in renewables. So there are definitely tools, we just need to use them. And this means that, of course, now it's about implementation of the clean energy package and how member states will walk the talk in a way. Energy poverty and vulnerable consumers is an important topic for BELG and also for our members. Our members, national consumer organizations, are in daily contact with consumers and they advise them on a various number of issues. And recently, we started a new project, which uh, is called STEP. It stands for uh, Solutions to Tackle Energy Poverty. And uh, this project is aiming to develop a simple, innovative and replicable model of measures to address energy poverty. So we are addressing nine countries with the, the highest rates of energy poverty in Europe. And our main objective is to alleviate energy poverty by encouraging behavioral change and low-cost energy efficiency solutions among consumers in or at risk of energy poverty through trusted, tailored advice. That means that our members will give tips to consumers how to cut their energy bill, how to be more energy efficient. We'll also partner with frontline workers who are in daily contact with um, consumers and who advise people on a range of issues such as financial or health related ones. So we will also partner with them so that they can give advice also to poor consumers. So this is just one of the examples what consumer organizations are doing just showing how important this area is for us. And now to close our interview I would like to ask you rapid fire questions that you can answer with one or two words or take a wild guess. <laughs> Zero carbon Europe by 2050, myth or reality? Reality. The future of storage, batteries or power to gas? Combination of those and other solutions. What year will see the last internal combustion engine vehicle sold in Europe? Between 2030-2040, but sooner the better. What will the percentage of power generated by prosumers be in 2050? I hope it will be significant. I hope there will be, um, let's say, 70% of consumers who will be actively engaged, be it in renewables, be it in uh, flexible offers, be it with their electric cars. The main challenge for utilities in the next decade is... I would say to find new way uh, to engage with the customers and meet increasing expectations from customers. And our final question, do you believe that the Paris Agreement goal of keeping the increase in global average temperature to well below two degrees above pre-industrial levels 
will be attained? And if yes, by what date? We don't have any choice. There's no consumer on that planet. We know uh, the science is very clear. The impact of climate change is more than clear. The deadline, we have ultimate deadline to meet that. And I would hope that we can actually do it before the deadline uh, as, uh, is in the Paris Agreement. So I am quite optimistic. And so that means actually no more procrastination. And it's not only about talking the talk, but also walking the walk. Monica, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Next time on Net Zero, um, I think we need to significantly downsize a lot of what we're doing. We cannot just be replacing every single internal combustion engine in Europe with an electric vehicle. Thank you for listening to this episode of Net Zero. If you like us, you can subscribe to our Florence School of Regulation podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and sign up to our newsletter. <laughs>